0: It's a home from here, I won't be back in a year, all the fallen leaves the birds, the breeze, capture me again, and all the lies you tell someone else, sure could use a friend.
1: And welcome back to another episode of Into the Wilderness, brought to you by Seawall Canada. I'm your host, Dan Lonergan, um, if you're listening to this today, it is officially scheduled uh, well, today, if, if you're listening to this day we release, it's the first of March, uh, or any day thereafter. We're officially in March of 2022, um, and for us at SeaWill and in the the Will space across Canada, March is March is a big month. Uh, it's it's nationally recognized as Co-op and Work Integrated Learning Month. Uh, what does that mean? It means we have a number of things going on each and every day uh, throughout the month events webinars uh different series we have awards for students in the co-op in the will space um there's tons of stuff flying across our our social handle so be sure to check those out linkedin twitter instagram it's all SeaWill canada um, and if you're looking to to you know how do i help promote this and support this couple of hashtags whether it's you know inspired will SeaWill 2022 or just hashtag will month if you're posting something related be sure to, to Toss those in your post. Um, it kind of helps that movement uh, across the board. So I was trying to think, you know, what do we do for the the first episode of March? Given that it's it's co-op and Will month, it's it's big for us. And I thought, well, there, there's a few like iconic spaces in in Will across this country. Um, and I've had guests from from the cooperative education space on the show before. We've talked about a lot of different items uh, the emergence of, of hybrid work terms remote work we've talked about barriers in co-op whether it's financial or geographical um, and in many ways it's still regarded as you know the most robust form of work integrated learning the most intensive given the number of hours and amount of time that students spend in the workplace uh, on a co-op work term um, and for SeaWell, it's been you know our main focus since our inception in 1973 previously as Kafke. Um and so it's, it's still a very integral and massive part of this whole co-op and, and work-integrated learning narrative in Canada, so I thought, well, why not take a deep dive into what is recognized as the world's largest co-op program, um, and that's at the University of Waterloo, so I'm very excited today. Uh, my guest is the Executive Director of Cooperative Education at the University of Waterloo in Ontario. Uh, He oversees more than 25,000 co-op students. 25,000 is more than most institutions have students. This is how many co-op students there are. Um, And works with over 7,500 organizations across 70 countries. We'll come back to that. Uh, He's also president-elect for Cooperative Education and Internship Association, which is out of the, the US and has had several senior positions at CIBC, MTS, Allstream, Ross Johnson welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much Dan I'm delighted to join you today I really appreciate the opportunity and, and particularly to kick off such an important uh, month for us that uh, dedicate dedicate a lot of what we do to work integrated learning for uh, our students so delighted to be with you.
1: Happy to have you here and, and yeah it's it's a big month for us and I think for people in the will space it, it's it's a known thing I think for people outside of it probably they probably never heard of of will month or co-op and will month and that's okay i mean everybody there's always events and things that resonate with certain people um but for us yeah this is this is the big month of the year um you know outside of maybe our big meeting that we hold in the fall and maybe a conference this is this is kind of the pinnacle so um but yeah on on the co-op side of things so are are we do you still claim is it still the world's largest co-op program Am, am i correct in in that statement
0: Certainly, from what uh, we understand in terms of the way that we go about things in relation to co-op, it is. Um, I know there are uh, other uh, large co-op programs in places such as Germany. They're slightly different, but uh, certainly for we, what we do, it's right up there as the largest for sure. And it's it's shocking when you like
1: it's you know nestled in into like the Kitchener Waterloo area and <laughs> you know s- southern Ontario-ish. Um so. You know normally normally on the show it, it's a lot more kind of opinion and, and topic driven stuff and we'll get to that in a second but i think just to set the the stage of like you know how did you get to this point because you obviously didn't start day one when you know when the university of waterloo opened its doors that this was the goal of the institution so how did it like in your time there and i know you've you've been there since 2009 correct sure. so prior to that like how did it get to where it is today or or how did this start? What was the narrative around when when they decided, you know what, let's let's try this cooperative education thing.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think uh, all of us at Waterloo are extremely grateful for the sort of forefathers that um, set up the University of Waterloo in the first place. And that was back in uh, 1957. And um, it was regarded as being a a bit of a, a sort of radical thing radical approach to do. What Lou was regarded as being a bit of an upstart, if you will, in this space. Um, And and really it was founded on co-op. So the first programme was an engineering programme. There was 74 students in it. That started way back in, I think it was July the 2nd, 1957. And really in the fall of that year, the first co uh, co-op cohort of students took their learnings and brought them into the real world during their first work term experience. And that was really the, the start of it. It was a, a neat, uh, unique concept. And the fact that um, you know, there was felt to be beneficial for students to not only earn money so that they could pay for their schooling, but also the fact that they could apply their academic learning uh, into the workplace. So lots of win-win scenarios in doing that um, you know, as I mentioned, industry and other inst- institutions were initially quite sceptical, as is often the case with a new idea and concept. But, um, you know, they soon began to realise the benefits and particularly in hiring that emerging talent and re-engaging with them and bringing them into the workplace and to help with new ideas and with uh, the future uh, growth for those uh, employers that embrace that. Um, It really has grown since then. Um, I think a number of different factors at play and the fact that um, what was seen to be a quality education where students were able to have this connection with employers and any ability potentially to be employed Uh, into areas that related to their study or into other areas where they could apply the skill sets that they were learning. Um, And that word of mouth really got out there. And it's fair to say that Waterloo was known as the co-op school. And that's still to this day a big uh, attractor in terms of, you know, more than 70 percent of our students uh, now come to Waterloo that they say when they join us, it's because of of co-op. Um, you know i've really seen the growth there when i joined in 2009 we were averaging about three and a half thousand students going out on a work term so now we're touching over 10,000 students going out on that work term and engaging with you know as you mentioned a large number of employers and they go out to 60 plus different countries uh, where the students get hired so you know there's been a lot of people that went before me that really have set the foundation but certainly, since I've been there in 2009, we really have seen exponential growth. But it's self-perpetuating because people are seeing the value, and that's why they're attracted to it.
1: And I mean, just in in my time in the space, and I think in today's day and age, that value is is seen widely across the board, and there's there's research to support it, and there's you know countless narratives from industry articulating the importance but i can imagine yeah, back in the 50s if you looked at kind of the the other players especially even just in ontario um institutionally from again from a university perspective the the focus on what was the purpose of a university right and was it to produce job ready individuals or with strong skill sets in that space i think you'd probably have a lot of people on the opposite side of that narrative and that's you know, that dates back to, I think, early foundations of higher education. Uh, and I think, you know, there's still that narrative, it, it still trickles around in certain circles today. But, you know, you mentioned a lot of things about being able to apply the learning on top of earning money to pay for their education, which now is, is such a critical piece for students, um, just with the cost of, of everything in their lives. Um, to, to see it grow, and I mean, to, to be at an institution where even just in the years that you've been there, you know, the, the 12 or so, 13 years, to go from 3,500 a term to over 10,000, like to sit back and, and just kind of think, like, how did we get how did we get here, which, which is an amazing feat, and then just try to reflect and think, okay, what did we do along the way? How did we make sure that this the, the experience for the student was still the same as it was when we had you know, a smaller number that it is today. And that's that's always where my head goes, I think, in the in the will space in general, not just co-op, like pick any type of work, integrated learning. When numbers start to to increase and schools start doing more or wanting to do more, my my first initial reaction is always, well, how do we how do we keep the the experience of of quality or of, of valuable learning for the student? Is it just Like, are we just doing this to have more numbers Um, and you always hope that that's that's not the case and I think you know you resonate with that so in in your space with this many students going on on co-op work terms in multiple countries how do you keep quality experiences at the forefront
0: yeah that's a that's a great question Dan and I mean Quality is, is really a foundational piece, um, because if you don't have that, then that is going to damage your reputation. Um, it means that, um, you know, the students in the future are not going to be engaged to, to come and be part of what you do. But our challenge at the same time, certainly at Waterloo, was leveraging the strength of what Co-op was providing, but putting it into enabling that exponential growth that we've seen. So, um, what we had to do is we had to take a step back. Um, We had to take a look at the way that we did things, um, both in terms of the way that we integrated programming, but also the the main pieces around the operational components and how we served our stakeholders. Um, And like anything, when you start off, you're gonna have lots of roles that have got multiple components to it. And that's really what we had. We had um, a field coordinator role. I'm sure many people who are listening will will relate to that. Um, And many roles that are out there are still set up like that. And they make total sense Um, because you are dealing with things total end to end for both the student and employer. Um, We had staff that were responsible in terms of finding the jobs for students Um, they were responsible in supporting the students when they were out on those work terms uh, as well as for when they transitioned back uh, to their academics and at the same time looking after the employer to make sure that we were posting their jobs helping them through that process making sure that they were appealing to those students that were coming in you know, there was lots of various component parts to that. Our issue was that when you then start to scale, that's when it's very easy for things to sort of buckle. And I, at the time, sort of likened it to, I don't know if you've ever seen those people that spin plates on the top of pole, little holes or sticks.
1: I, I went to a Cirque du Soleil show once. Yeah, they, they did uh, that.
0: They, right. So, you know, it's the job was a little bit like that when it's so multifaceted in the fact that you can be spinning all those plates and the more you keep adding, the more things will start to wobble at one end until it unfortunately falls. And we did not want to put ourselves in a position like that where it not only impacted our students and the employers, but it also impacted our staff. So we um, did uh, change. We um, went through a reorganization um, within co-op and we aligned the jobs more to employers and more to students. So the creation was focused roles that purely looked after the student population, both out in the work term and also in terms of uh, when they were uh, not on a work term. So the students had that one point of contact we also um, set it up so that we had um, people in roles that were hunters to go out and find uh, the jobs from employers who did not post with us currently. And we also had um, created a role that was focused on the long-standing employer relationship. So retaining that employer, uh, trying to broaden their hiring with us um, and to try and increase the number of students that they would actually hire. So that really gave us that sort of strong foundation. Then, on the um, faculty side, roles that were purely focused on um, developing programming and supporting that with the faculty, as well as the focus on the student experience. Um, again, on the operational side, we grew our team there so we had people that were dedicated, purely support the posting of our jobs the creating a brand awareness uh, around for the employer um, in terms of their employment brand and also enabling a good experience all round for both students and employers through the interview process so that was really a a big uh, component for us there was also aligned with that the increased focus on international and I think you know you touched on that a little bit earlier and we've seen the potential growth for that and it's also been aligned as well with the the growth that we've seen in in students that come to Canada from international destinations and bringing that different cultural mix uh, both into the on-campus experience, but then transitioning into the Canadian workforce overall. So you know, lots of different things there. Um, you know, we've had challenges as well in relation to COVID with this, as everybody's had as well. So we're continuing to shift and learn and change dynamic and change the way that we operate. And particularly when you see new generations that come in through our doors every September, we need to be attuned to that because their expectations continue to change. And if you're trying to be a world leader in anything, you need to also keep a focus on what's coming for the future.
1: 100%. You can't remain stagnant or or stable. And and that's always, I mean, I think that's just Part of of the way I look at a lot of the stuff in Will Space too is could always be doing something better and and you can define the word better in a lot of ways more efficient more effective um, more innovative right like whatever it means for you and and it's, I kind of have the same struggle with the word quality in general like how okay what does it mean right like what is a quality experience so I, I really like that you know you you looked at it not just from like okay at the, at the work site or where the student is working is that an environment that is you know fostering learning and they're building skills because that obviously goes without question um but for you for you and your team internally really looking at okay what is what's the barrier here what's the bottleneck or, or hindering it and I think you know the fact that you look at those roles and this obviously goes hand in hand with larger institution you, you can you have the resources available to be able to do this. But why I think it's important, even for a, for a small institution where somebody, maybe that field coordinator is doing all of that, right? Like they're finding the jobs, they're they're nurturing the relationship with the employer, they're working with the students. Like for a lot of small schools, that that's one person, right? And not everybody draws energy from doing all of those tasks equally maybe you say like, I like all aspects, but I guarantee you, you like one aspect more, it's just human nature. Um, so the fact that, you know, you really hone in on on people's skill strengths there in the sense of, okay, are you that hunter, as you described it, that that really draws the energy kind of going out, almost like a, like a sales-ish kind of role, not to put a label on it, but that's just the way that I'll do it for this, the purpose of this conversation. Um, and then the relationship building piece, again, Not really too heavy interacting with the students, but for them, right? That's that's where they get the energy. And all of that to me is is how I would look at, you know, what Waterloo does and define quality. So I really like that you went there on the international side. And because I know this is something that pops up and I've talked to other people about this, we'll focus on domestic students. So Canadian students with an appetite to go international. Do you find that because of your, your connections worldwide that you get, do you get a lot of students coming forward and saying, I want to go work, do a co-op work term international, or is there still some convincing from your team?
0: Yeah, we've, we've seen, um, you know, an increase definitely over time. Um, and, and I would say you've, you've got a mix because you have international students that might want to return home Right. Um, for a first international experience, and there's a lot of component parts from that. Because as we know, when students move to on ca- on campus living and experiences, there's a disconnect from home, right. and that's increased again as we know. If if you're coming from a an international destination, that means you're you're hours away from parents and family. So we do see a connection there. But what we have seen, um, you know, in 2017, we saw about 943 students that were hired for international work terms in non-Canadian or in U.S. locations. But in 2021, that's increased down to over 1,400. And and some of that is at play because of COVID, right, because international students have had to stay in their home countries and attain a work experience there, which we've supported. So, um, you know, there are those component parts to it, but I think there's a, a future growth in this area because, you know, Canada is a destination for people to come to, not just to learn, but also to live. And, and we know that that's a factor. Um, I'm grateful for some of the work that SeaWorld does in terms of advocacy through to the government, in terms of trying to smooth some of those things. And we've seen that as well with regards to, um, you know, what students need to put in place when they cross the border in terms of visas. Um, um, But that uh, said, it's um, a future growth area because we have more alumni now that are now based internationally too. And that's still a work in progress for us at the University of Waterloo in terms of how we tap into that, not just to gain the the work experience for for students, but also the potential support of living and working in a foreign country. Um, So, yeah, number of things that we're continually doing there, but we have seen quite a considerable growth in this space. And and
1: I want to come back to the future growth, I think, of co-op. Uh, in a a, a bit here, but yeah, the point about alumni is huge. And I think the way that institutions engage with their alumni, very importantly in this regard, as far as, you know, networking and having international connections and being able to give the next generation of students opportunity to enter into different markets or to go international, if that's where they've established roots or, or, you know, professional careers, it's critical. Um, On top of, you know, general kind of alumni office activities i think really trying to hone in where where does co-op and will fit that conversation um which i think you know a lot more attention could be paid in that area across the board
0: well and and i think as well just to add a piece there um you know we have to learn from what we've just gone through in the last two years What what COVID has brought is the potential, which has been spoken about before, about the global workplace. Um, And I think, um, you know, knowing that you might have a student on a work term that's based in one country, but the work is actually being applied in another, but they're not actually there. These are things that are going to further develop for us in the future that we need to embrace and and help it to, to happen.
1: Absolutely. And, and I will come back to that in a second. What I I want to, I want to come back to the point that you made kind of at the very beginning in terms of, of the purpose of, of co-op when it started at Waterloo, right? To allow in that case, the engineering students, the chance to apply their learning. And I think you look at engineering programs now across the the world, I'd say, you know, generally speaking, co-op is such a critical part of that, that profession and that, uh, career path in general um so but at, at waterloo it's a bit different i think on average again looking at canadian institutions canadian show uh most most co-op programs have three work terms available to their students your students do a bit more on average i think between four and six that's work right. terms um, which obviously extends the the duration of their program and and that's a different conversation but just focusing on the the benefit or the value add to to more work terms where do you see that as as a value add to students uh like why why is it important why why more at Waterloo
0: yeah that's again it goes back to um quality um and certainly in working with our faculty, there was a feeling there that um, there was a need to have that sort of level. Um, it also tied in as well in terms of you mentioned engineering, the the work requirements um, around attaining your PH. So there was a component part, um, certainly when they set that up, that that would connect to that. But I think you know it's it's. A key piece here, and it's become probably more of a, a byproduct, but a huge value, is the fact that it makes the students extremely employable. Um, so in in attaining that additional work terms, it means that for some students from some of our programs, when they graduate, they're graduating with up to two years' worth of work experience. And not only that, they're an average working within three to four different industries. And that's often quite surprising for people. But I think that's the other thing that highlights here with the type of education um, that work integrated learning is, is the fact that it enables the, not only the development of a certain skill set, but how it can be applied. So it becomes something that's more transferable and not just transfixed to one particular uh, industry. So, you know, I think that's a, a, a huge component piece. And again, you know, when you attend the uh, Ontario University's fair, uh, for example, that's a question that parents and students are always asking us. You know, what's the likelihood in terms of employment uh, after graduation? So it's a huge consideration. One of the things that we've been working on at our university is um, a set of 12 competencies that we call the Future Ready Talent Framework. And this is really um, trying to capture through research um, various types of skills um, that students apply uh, and have the potential to apply in the workplace. So we've built that now into our student evaluation when they're on the work term, Um, a lot of our prep courses uh, that is applied as well. We're currently in the process of mirroring um, those sets of competencies into our own staff's development uh, within our department. So we walk the talk, uh, if you will. Um, And the full intention of this as well is that when the students come to graduation, they have the potential to have personal development, a plan if, um, for, for lifelong learning aspects connected to those competencies. So again, you know, we touched on earlier about being a, a world leader, and it's you, know, you can't tread water. You have to continue to uh, innovate um, uh, and be, if you like, internal entrepreneurs. And this is what we, we, we try to do. And we're quite excited about where the Future Ready Talent Framework can, can take us. And the
1: the competency conversation or you know skill articulation that it, it's it's becoming quite prominent across higher end uh, spaces at least again the conversations that I've been having with people it comes up almost every time and then you see outside of of institutions things like like badging and micro credentials and it's I think it's all rooted in that same narrative obviously how it's delivered varies from from provider to provider and we won't get into that on on this episode but I, I hear you on the you know when when you're deciding of an like an institution to choose from something like this where the questions might come up of okay this this is going to take longer if if I do it at Waterloo because of the number of work terms so as a parent as a student then then financial questions start coming in there and yes co-op like you you make money while you're doing your work terms which is absolutely critical. But there's a cost it programs cost. There's additional fees for co-op. And and I know a lot of times, you know, students, students question that. Parents question that. Like, why, why, what am I paying these fees for? At end of the day, it's it's not cheap to run a co-op program. Like, I think just being, you know, outward and honest, obviously, like, you operate on a massive scale. You have a lot of people. There's, there's a payroll component to that. But even on, a, even for a small institution, for like a handful of people, to to do the networking to find the jobs or or, you know help network and and build those relationships it's not like that isn't done at at zero cost um so it's just the the, you know the communication and the conversation of do, do students and do families understand that is it like could we be more explicit in in sharing that information and i think you know you talk about building the competencies into the work that they're doing in the prep courses that's not something that you're gonna just pick up off the internet. Like You can look at how to write a resume online in today's day and age, and you'd probably get a, a handful of job offers by doing that. Um, but building this type of, of learning makes it different. And I think that's where we start to see, but what a lot of people have said is like, do the students understand? Like, like do are we having these honest conversations, whether it's with this in co-op or on a previous episode, it was, you know, the students didn't realize which part of their course if it was course based will was the will and it, and I've seen that in students so it's like you know do you just have these open and honest conversations with your with your co-op students or or should you I guess
0: yeah and again that's that's a great point and it's something you know right at the front end in terms of working with marketing undergrad recruitment at the university um making sure that they're Appropriately informed, um, engaging uh, existing co op students so that they have feedback uh, into that process as well, um, and supporting those students as well through that first uh, year is hugely important. So, you know, we have career staff that's involved in supporting them and making sure that they're ready for that first uh, interview. We have student advising staff that are connected uh, individually through to our students. But the whole educational component around what's what's it really like and what am I paying for here? Um, because at the University of Waterloo, we do uh, charge a separate co-op fee on top of their academics. But that's been how we've been able to to grow uh, as well to the scale that we were at, but also to develop that programming and put certain things in place in terms of how we serve and support students. And that's really what they're paying for. It's not. A, a job finding fee, um, it's developing learners for the future of work. Um, so it's again that educational piece that plays a long, long part, but it's longer than that because it is uh, a full journey that we are on. And when our students um, finish, they have um, gone through a large number of interviews because that's been part of the process that they've been through but it also enables them to be quite articulate around the type of work that they want to be involved in in the future and potentially the employers that they want to work for Um, and that's a huge enhancer uh, as well to give them a stable start uh, after university at the same time um, as you mentioned dan you know co-op isn't for for everybody whether it's related to cost or whether it's related to how stressful it could potentially be. Um, And this is where we have a a strategic plan at the university. And uh, between now and 2025, we're working on trying to enable every single student at the University of Waterloo to at least encounter uh, some form of work integrated learning as part of their degree journey. So, um, you know, we're looking at further enhancing what we do, for grad students, for example, um, and enabling some form of will if it's beyond co-op, what might that look like? Um, And also, as well, learning ourselves, because that first work term experience can be quite traumatic. And particularly if you build co-op in the last, uh, sorry, COVID in the last uh, couple of years in the equation as well, because jobs initially were not as readily available. So what we've done there is we've developed Uh, something that we call the We Accelerate programme. And this is with uh, input from certain organisations within industry. It's project based. So, um, and these are for first work term students who have just not been fortunate enough to be employed. um, And therefore, they still want to uh, potentially do something rather than switch to go back to their academics. So it enables them to uh, work in teams Uh, with employers and uh, enable them to do some project-based research um, of which they're assessed on. And due to that, it's uh, a creditable experience. So we've seen some growth in that space. It's something that I've been extremely grateful for, to be honest, Dan, because since I I joined in in 2009, um, that first work term, trying to ensure that uh, the majority get some form of uh, work term experience has often been quite hard because some are giving up um, a lot to come to the university in terms of their time to potentially do a part-time job because they're focused on their academic requirements to actually get to university that um, unfortunately they're not as well uh, prepped or experienced as others to compete um, for a a co-op job for example so These are, again, um, other sort of enhancements that we've tried to do, Um, again, based on a quality experience, but trying to make it uh, fair uh, for all.
1: And for me, like that example, it kind of, you know, echoes some of the conversations I've had on previous episodes about reducing barriers to to work integrated learning. And I think, you know, if you just look at it very quickly and don't take the time, you might say, well, like, I don't see any barriers, but We've talked about a number on this show and and that example, and I've heard from some other schools that that in, implemented that type of um, project option during Covid, where students, students really enjoyed it and then they almost started looking at that of like, I would love to keep doing this. It's like, okay, well, we have to balance this out somehow. Um, but you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned first work term challenges and and I think that's across the board with with will in general. like first, whether it's like whether you want to look at it like co-op or service learning or even like community projects, the first one that you have to do, it pushes you out. So we've talked about this comfort level as a student, what you're used to. The first one always throws you for a loop. And it's how do you make sure that the support is there for the students to help them through that, like have that conversation of what's happening here, why this feels uncomfortable, but how do you get through it? And then how do you come out the other side better off and and with a stronger skill set but that that takes special attention you have to realize that there there are those challenges there Um, and then try hope that you have the resources whether it's with people or with tools to help them get through that Um, and it's critical in those those first whether they're work terms or will experiences Um, you mentioned previously about yeah this the future growth of co-op and and we can even expand it to to work integrated learning um so you you know you mentioned things about the the emergence of remote work terms or or with covid you know you saw you you saw your international um, work site visit numbers or work sites go up and do you do you think that's that's here to stay is that something that we're going to continue to see now we almost can't go backwards like this it's been proven that it can be done and it can be done well uh, and that this is this is now the the reality of co-op education
0: yeah you know I, i do think that this is something that's just going to continue to evolve um i think it's fair to say in my opinion dan the last two years has accelerated into certain things in certain ways um you know if i think about One of the main challenges that was on my desk um, was the fact about interview space um, available for employers to actually come to our campus um, to uh, be part of the interview process and hire our students. And I was grateful for the fact that we had actually grown the number of call centres that we had in place in our building from zero, sorry, from one to uh, over five. Um, purely focused on enabling at the time Skype was the main platform that we were using um, to enable that connection. And we also had uh, phone as, as well. And we had seen term over term uh, growth in that area for a number of years. But it was a case of when do we feel that there'll be a tipping point where interviews are going to become more like that that means that we may not need uh, the space on campus to the scale that we currently have. Because we've got about uh, 130 different interview rooms within the Teetham Centre. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a large uh, building that's purposely built to enable students to get a good interview experience. Well, COVID blew that apart. And, you know, we were thinking it's going to take five to 10 years for this to happen. Well, it's happened now. So. um, What we are seeing is obviously the capability for students to do interviews from anywhere and on a handheld device. And this is something that students are extremely familiar with already before they've actually come to university. So it's kind of embracing the way that they, they operate anyway. One of the main tricks has been how do employers relate to this Um, because employer preference was clearly the potential for a a application in person uh, connection. But will those employers from various international countries come to our university to hire in that way? Indeed, will somebody travel from within even Ontario in our province to Waterloo to hire that way? Um, because they've seen the potential to save money, they've also now got some statistical data that potentially shows that the quality of their hiring has not reduced in any way, um, in which case there's going to be uh, that increased demand, we feel, for that virtual experience. And there's things that we need to continue to learn in that regard, Dan, as well, you know, with regards to an information session for an employer. Um, those are certainly have the potential to be all virtual. Um, and again, how do we embrace that? How do we make the experience a good one? How do we make sure it's a quality connection? So there's ongoing work that needs to be done in that. But it's fair to say, even through the Teams platform that we're connecting in today, how improved that's been from when it first came on the market, right? Absolutely,
1: I remember those those early. And we it was funny because my team, uh again at Brock before i was with seawall like we had been on teams for about two years pre covid and i remember back when we first started yeah it was it was choppy to to say the you know to put it nicely like they didn't have a lot of the features it has today um so i think for a lot of the companies obviously it's accelerated but for the work that that you do and and kind of the world of will just what's what it has accelerated for the better i'd say in in the majority of cases um or what i like you always try to find okay what are some of the silver linings out of this this entire you know worldwide experience which overall has been bad um it's some of the things that you mentioned you know the the talent acquisition world of of student recruitment has drastically changed and there was always that narrative that you know you, you need to broaden your your talent search pool but that came with additional costs, like you mentioned, whether you had to travel or you had to pay for someone to relocate, all of that, if the job allows for it, is is gone. It's out the window, right? Like I don't have to pay for re like re relocation fees. You stay where you are and and, and do the work.
0: Well, and, and you mentioned as well, you know, this this service to students too, because you mentioned yeah. the site visits. As I, I well. was I'm glad you're
1: touching I wanted to come back to that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah let's talk
0: about that. We we had done I mentioned the reorganization that we did uh, a couple of years after I had joined and um, we had done some analysis around when was the key points that we should be making sure that we are connecting in with students. Because at the time um, when I joined, we had a promise that every single student re- would receive a site visit um, in the workplace. but. You know, we were understanding that as we were growing, that was becoming physically impossible to do. And at the same time, it's not a case that every single student required a site visit. You know, if if you've got a a student, you mentioned four to six work terms, right? If You've got a student that's going there on their fifth work term and they kind of know how things go. And they've actually had the last four work terms with the same employer. Is there an actual need to be there? So we, we created the, the opportunity for um, students to receive a on-site visit when it was their first work term, if it was a brand new employer who'd never hired before, and on their second to last work term. Um, you know, those first two that I mentioned, I think it's clear that, you know, there's a lot of things you need to check on to make sure that this, the student's getting a, a good experience and it's meeting expectations but that last one the second last work term was really about having a conversation about their thoughts for their final work term and how that's going to get aligned with what they're intending to do in the future um so that component part now we also would send out what we called an e-check-in to every student and that enables choice in terms of how we serve them because some students maybe had a bad experience in the last work term and would I really appreciate somebody to be there and available to them? Um, and a number of different reasons around that in terms of supporting overall wellness and mental, mental health. But that said, now having gone through COVID where everything has been done on a virtual basis and we've proven that the quality can still count, then that's something that we're taking a, a, a further look at. Um, and potentially that last Uh, visit on the second to last could potentially be done more on a virtual basis so these are the things that we're attaining feedback from students on at the moment we're also attaining feedback from employers at the moment in terms of how they want to interact in the future so that we can continue to keep a pace and match their expectations
1: everything about what you've just said I think as far as like best practice and 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 this is coming from me who i don't i don't come from a co-op background i come from like a course-based will role but i've always looked at it and thought what it like we could probably do just though like what you mentioned like first work term first time employer or student says like you know something's like i'm not comfortable here okay yes this the second to last work term piece is incredibly interesting because it still gives the student enough time to have one, find. like if they really do want to change something or they are giving feedback, it still can directly impact them. And I think, you know, as opposed to, well, we do it on the last one? Well, at the last one, it that's it. They don't have any more opportunity. So to, to just dial it one back, um, I really like that as a best practice from a, from a co-op space. So I think, I, I hope that, you know, for, for others coming out of, of COVID or going back into the office, that the initial reaction isn't just, well, we, we go back to doing them all in person. Um, I think we've, we've learned a lot from it. And, and again, from your experience operating on the scale that you do, it, it just got to a point where it wasn't possible to keep doing so you had to make the change. Um, but for for maybe places where they don't have to make the change, just maybe sit down and, and question, should we? um and you know it sounds like you've you've come to some realizations in that space where it's still effective if not more and then from a a cost perspective from your department too it obviously reduces that and allows you to maybe implement some other programming or initiatives that you can reallocate those resources for so
0: yeah uh, it's just really
1: excited by that
0: it's tapping in dan as well constantly to the stakeholder feedback of um, you know what we've introduced over the last few years, we've we've really tried to listen to our students more. Um, and I know people say, yeah, we 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 listened to students before, but it was a case of yeah, I really wanted to b- embrace it, understand it, share back that they had a voice in yeah. in terms of what we were doing. So all of our students now rate their work term experience, and we get that uh, feedback uh, from them. Uh, every term. And the same thing relates to a a co-op student experience survey that we do every single term. And that relates to both their hiring experience in terms of when they're going through the hiring process, but it also relates to how we serve them when they're out on their work term and their work term experience. And then that way, again, this aligns with quality we can um, focus in on certain areas where we might feel that we need to do something differently because we're not performing at what we'd the level we'd hoped for and we do the same on the employer side as well with regards to their experience too
1: well and i've always said it's critical if you're ever gonna if you're gonna send out a survey if you're gonna ask for feedback you you better be prepared to do something with the results that come back otherwise why are we spending the time and and asking for people's energy and and time to fill it out. So it's it's always great to hear when that feedback actually is the driving force into to making some really impactful changes. Um, and for to operate on the scale that, that you are at Waterloo, you have to, I think you have to be constantly changing and adaptive because it's it's too big to to just let things go. It'll it'll go off the rails very fast, I would imagine. But uh, with that, Ross, I just want to, I want to thank you for, for taking the time out of your day to, to join us here at the beginning of Will Month uh, to sit down, talk about the world's largest co-op program, or, or so we still believe it to be, um, and kind of everything that, that it was and, and what you've done in your time uh, there and, and continue to do in the future. So thanks for joining. For everybody listening, it's Will Month. Check us out social, Share your stories if, if you're a Will practitioner or a student or a faculty uh, tag us, hashtag will month seawill2022 lots of different ways. Uh, but with that we will see you next time.
0: I won't be back in a year. Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze capture me again, and all the lies he tells someone else sure could use a friend.